0: hear the word of the Lord proclaimed from the book of Acts, beginning, beginning with chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Jesus. For he was numbered among us, and was allotted his share in his ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Bersabbas, who is also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen? To take the place in this ministry, an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the, 12, with the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Listen, um, in my own life, uh, waiting is the hardest part of being a Christian. Waiting, I I remember. Oran uh, and I lived in New Jersey. We uh, we had told my ministry, the campus ministry, for whom I worked, about eighteen months before I was going to transition out that uh, I was going to move toward church planting, and there were about five opportunities on the board at the time for us to do that. And so I made this announcement eighteen months ahead to help them prepare for my transition. And then, after I made that announcement, in the next three months, every one of those five opportunities totally dried up and disappeared, either through lack of funding or through other instances that were totally out of the control of the churches trying to plant those individual church plants. And so here here I was with Lauren and two kids in the middle of nowhere, New Jersey, trying to prepare to go church plant. And I had no idea where we were going to go.
2: And so for about six months, I'm recruiting guys to come take my place. And we
1: get the guy in. We hire the guy that's going to take my place. Like, it's official. I will not have a job in six months. And he moves his family to New Jersey. He then begins to... Take the support that I once helped raise, now he's raising, and I'm downshifting and preparing to leave out, but I have no idea where I'm going. That's well, no big deal. We have six months. So we, you know, we do what everybody else does. We kind of prepare. We get ready. We get busy, and, you know, people are asking us, hey, so where are you going? And we just have to say, we have no idea. And then three months comes along, and hey, you've got three months. It's no problem, and we have no idea where we're going. And so for about five months, friends, we sat there in New Jersey, 1,500 miles from home, from our families, and we had no idea where we were going to go. And the Lord just said to us, Blake, I want you to just wait because you're a very impatient person. And I'm not going to tell you where, and I'm not going to tell you when. I'm just going to tell you to trust me. Am I enough for you to lay the idols of planning and control down? And will you let me be God in your life? And so sure enough, not long before that transition had to take place, two opportunities emerged of which this was one of them. And we were glad and joyfully chose to turn one of those down to take this one. And it was an amazing time for us to learn how to wait. But waiting's hard, isn't it? Like if you wait for like, you know, five hours, you can plug in a season of Downton Abbey, you're gonna be just fine. If you wait for five minutes, you know, you can occupy your time with the tabloids and the chewing gum as you wait at the line at Reesers for somebody to check you out. You know, if you're waiting at baggage claim, you know, that airports have figured out that Americans hate waiting so much that they actually put your bag on the furthest baggage claim, oftentimes from your plane, because they would rather you walk seven minutes longer and not file complaint cards than to put you on the closest baggage claim and sit there for 10 minutes because you're going to be so mad you had to wait, you're going to file a complaint. Waiting, as a friend of ours in New Jersey said one day to us, an old 70-year-old saint, waiting is the lost art of the Christian life. Because we don't like to wait. And so we occupy our time. We occupy it with TV. We occupy it with ESPN. We occupy it with college football. We occupy it with eating too much. We occupy it with exercising. We occupy it with sex. We occupy it with looking at internet pornography. We occupy it with all kinds of things that totally dominate our life. And except for internet pornography, and of course, sex within the confines of marriage is wonderful, right? but uh, except for sex outside of marriage. All those other things that I mentioned, right, are good things that become over-desires for us. And they tend to reveal in times of waiting our functional idolatries. And what's amazing about the passage that Mike just read for us is that here these disciples are, having seen Jesus resurrected and having seen him ascend to his father,
2: Jesus says to them, wait. Until I give you the Holy Spirit.
1: And in the midst of the waiting, Jesus gives this young church, this fledgling church of 12 plus 108, there's 120 people that gathered in that upper room, one resource to give their life to when they wait. What is it? That's what we're going to look at today. What is that one resource? Why do you need it so badly and how do you do it? What's the resource? Why do you need it so bad? And how do you do it? Let's look at the text together. All the disciples to a man were blown away by what they experienced. Peter, just days before, had denied Jesus, and he was on the run. John, right, was the one, perhaps, in the book of John, who ran out of the garden without his clothes on. He was so fearful of being arrested. They were running scared. And after the resurrection, Jesus shows up in his physical, real body. And
2: every one of them were so transformed that their entire worldview view was completely sh- And it changed them. And then they went back into Jerusalem, just as Jesus told them. And they went up to an upper room. Now, we don't know if
1: that upper room that they're talking about here is the same upper room that Luke talks about in Luke 22. He uses a different word about the upper room that they had the last supper in. But that's not the point that Luke is trying to make. They go up into the upper room. An upper room, and you know this, when you go over to somebody's house, you usually hang out in the downstairs area. In the kitchen, in the living room, right, in in their den, but you only go upstairs if you have real intentionality, if your kid's screaming, or if you've got to put somebody down for a nap, or if you're going to go up there to have a private conversation. It's the same way in the ancient Near East. The downstairs area was the place of hospitality, but the upstairs area was the place where people went because they had a purpose. And so they s- set off to go back to Jerusalem, and they go upstairs upstairs. Where it says they stayed, it was their bedrooms. And verse 14 shows us what they did. If you have a Bible, let's read it together. And it says that all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Let's say that again. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. There it is. The resource for a young church plant like ours, to be a church that's in community, trying to shape the community of Owasso in the glory of the name of Christ. If we're going to be that kind of church, we've got to be devoted to prayer. And the last thing that you're going to want to do when it's time to wait is to pray. Listen, you can see in your bulletin that Martin Luther was writing a commentary on Psalm 51 and he was overcome with his own habit of not praying. He says, I have learned from my own experience that praying is often the most difficult thing to do. I don't hold myself up as a master of prayer. In fact, I admit that I have often said these words coldly. God, have mercy on me. I prayed that way because I was worried about my own unworthiness. Yet, ultimately, the Holy Spirit convinced me, no matter how you feel, Martin, you must pray. God wants us to pray and He wants to hear our prayers, not because we are worthy, but because He is merciful. These disciples are so overcome by what Jesus has done that they don't say, okay, listen, Jesus said he's going to send the Holy Spirit and then send it out into the world. Okay, let's gather people together and let's figure out who's going to go to what towns. And let's how we're the world. He doesn't do any of that. These guys come together and they devote themselves to prayer. And what's interesting about this passage is that the word devoted to is used ten times in the New Testament. And it just means to be constant in or to be full of, fear in, or to be set apart for. And five of those ten times, like one of the times, for example, in, in Mark 3 is used to the boat aside for Jesus the boat because the crowd is pushing in on them, and they set the boat apart, right It was devoted to Jesus, it was an inactive, inanimate object, but most of the time when they use that word, five out of those ten times, it 's talking about prayer. Let me just give you some of those just to help us massage in this just for a second. In Acts chapter two, it said, the early converts in Jerusalem, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And fellowship and breaking of bread and the prayers. In Acts chapter six of the apostles it says, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In Colossians four it says of all of us, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, be devoted to prayer, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. And those of you guys who like Romans, you know in Romans 12, there's like this string of exhortations in Romans twelve twelve, And it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. His point is that it's not abnormal to be a person devoted to prayer. It's assumed if you're a Christian, you're going to be devoted to prayer. It, it, what you have to remember when you think about prayer is that prayer for us is a resource? It's it's kind of like, you know, it's it's kind of like um, I may get in trouble for use this analogy, but it's kind of <laughs> okay. I'm not going to use it. It's kind of like when when you are um, when when you have got something really awesome at your disposal, like you're you get to go like on the uh, Mario Andretti racetrack, right? And they give you the car to go around the racetrack together. Right, And you get in that car, and you just turn the key, and you go, oh, this is cool. Look at the lights on the dash. And this is cool. Look at this helmet. This is awesome. The whole point of the car existing, man, is to help you fly around that track. The thrill of being a real race car driver, of participating in what is so awesome that you've been invited to by Mario Andretti himself. The same is true in prayer. Jesus gives you access to all of his resources. And he invites you to enjoy that with him. Ladies, you like to go to the spa. Men, what do we like to do? How do? We like to go hunt, whatever. Listen, prayer is one of those aspects of our life where Christ invites you into the pleasure of being in his company. And being constant in prayer doesn't mean like you're always praying anymore that being devoted to your wife means that you're always hanging out with her. But what it does mean is that if you only pray at mealtimes, or you only pray, you know, these pithy little prayers, now I lay me down to sleep, before you go to bed with your kids, or you only pray, which this is a good prayer to pray, Lord, help the traffic to break because I'm late for lunch, or give me a parking place, like, now. Like, those are perfectly legitimate ways to pray. But if those are the only times that you're praying, only in moments
2: of crisis, Then your life is not devoted to prayer. But Jesus says that the life of a church that is on fire for me is devoted to prayer. That's what it means. Now, why do you need it? When we were waiting to um, figure out where the Lord was going to call us,
1: I was asking the Lord all the wrong questions. Where am I going? When am I going to get there? How much money do I need to start raising? Should I start communicating with my supporters? All those questions that a young church planner might start asking about planning a church. And the Lord said to me, you need to shut up and pray because you're asking all the wrong questions. And when you devote yourself to prayer, when you begin to enjoy prayer, God calls you to enjoy prayer. Do you know what happens to your questions? They change. And they get shaped around the gospel. So you stop asking questions that are often driven by your own pss, uh, uh, pity in many respects. Lord, when are you going to take care of me? When are you going to do this? And he said, Blake, stop asking questions about you.
2: Just say Jesus, can you be enough for me right now? Blake, will you let me be enough? And when I began to answer that prayer, it was amazing. Doors began to open up.
1: And if he had waited 10 years to open those doors up, he would have been just as faithful. But you need prayer so much, friends, and I need prayer Because we're asking, many of us are asking the wrong questions. And therefore, we're not growing in wisdom. And if you're going to grow in wisdom, you've got to learn how to ask the right questions. Remember in, in Psalm 113, there's a psalm where he just goes off, Bless the Lord, O my soul. We sing it together. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And right smack dab in the middle of that prayer, he says, in the midst of this string of praises to God, Thank you for being such a great and marvelous God. He's just praying a prayer of praise. The Lord totally transitions his question. And he gives him a question to pray. And he says in Psalm 113:5, Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks
2: far down to the heavens, from the heavens onto the earth? Who is like you, God? Who would take my family through such an incredible transition,
1: you might be saying? Who would take me through a period of joblessness? What are you doing? Who would allow me to get hurt in such a way that my life is never the same again?
2: Who is like
1: you? And he says, now you're beginning to ask the right question. Because your life will be well lived, he says, when you begin to recognize that it is lived for me in light of my glory you need to devote yourself to prayer because we need wisdom and prayer helps us begin to ask the right questions does this make sense are you with me oftentimes we come to the lord with this list of petitions lord help me with this help me with that and the lord says those are great things i hear you i love you i care for you and i care for all those things But I want you to just learn to rest in who I am. And slowly he changes the questions. And we begin to pray prayers like this. Who do we have in heaven but you, O Lord? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my life and my portion forever. The point of how the Lord changes our questions from this text in Acts is this. These guys get up into this room and they're praying scripture together. We don't know how long they're praying, but they're praying for a long time. It's conveyed in the text. And all of a sudden, Peter stands up with a new question. Hey, 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 stop worrying about how we're going to go and win the world for Jesus. Stop worrying about the route we're going to take to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. He gets a new question. And he says, look. We've got to figure out now, with the wisdom that's come to us from prayer, who's going to replace Judas as the 12th apostle? And the Lord gives him very practical wisdom that was gleaned from being in Scripture and in prayer. So, So here's a very simple question for you. Do you as Christians who are covered with the blood of Christ. I know almost every one of your stories, so I'm going to preach to you for just a second as though you are a Christian. You need the gospel so bad just as much now as you did when you first came to Christ. And you need to see that Jesus forgives you of your sin and he loves you and he became your high priest and your sacrifice for you. And He invites you in His warm embrace to sing over you His love and your identity. Because when you look in the mirror and you check your bank balance, you just get frustrated that you didn't measure up to where you thought you'd be when you were
2: 36, 42, 59, 78. And He loves you. And you may be really surprised by where you are in life, but Jesus isn't surprised. And He cares for you. He wants to shape your questions and he wants to give you wisdom. And he wants to
1: show you, brothers and sisters, that we have access to the throne of grace because Christ himself became for us what we never could. And he invites us into the
2: greatest fellowship we could ever imagine. Do you make time for it? Do you view
1: community group, for example, as just another thing to go to? Or do you view it as going to a battleship to get recharged and to pray and to confess your sins together and to pray for each other and to be there for each other? Or do you just waste your time hemming and hawing about the day's activities, which in many respects, sometimes that can be a good thing. you got to build fellowship, and that's totally fine. But do you really fight together in prayer?
2: You need to. So what is it? What's the resource? They were devoted to prayer. Why do
1: they need it? Because often as Christians, we're asking the wrong questions. We don't have the wisdom we need because we're very self-absorbed. And Christ comes to us in Scripture by the power of His Holy Spirit. And as we're in the Scriptures, He changes our questions so that we begin to ask more honest questions about what He wants for our life. He did that with Peter. He said, Peter, you're asking the wrong questions. You need to begin as he prayed in the psalms he knew he needed to find a replacement for Judas you need to make the decision now how do you do it that's the last point then we'll close
2: well how did the disciples do it i'm just going to rattle off four things that they did
1: how are you to pray to prepare for God to use you How are you to pray whenever you're waiting for something to happen? And I know some of your stories. Some of you are waiting and you're frustrated by how long you've had to wait. You pray together with other people. They prayed together. It says that they didn't just pray in their own closets, although we should develop that discipline too. But it says that they prayed in a whole group. They prayed together. It says that they were united in prayer. They joined together with one accord. They had agreed together that the resurrection and ascension of Jesus was worthy of them gathering. And they prayed in light of
2: what Christ had done for them. They prayed because of the gospel. So they prayed together. It was corporate prayer. They prayed united prayer. They prayed
1: constantly in prayer. We don't know how long they actually prayed in Acts chapter 1, but it is conveyed in the text that they actually prayed at least for four days. Because Pentecost came on day 10. And the way the Greek is written, there tends to be a pretty significant shift between when they started to pray and when Peter finally stands up and says, hey, brothers, according to the Scriptures, we got to find a guy to replace
2: Judas. And fourth, they prayed Scripture-soaked prayers. Peter goes to Scripture
1: He goes to scripture to find his wisdom. Do you? Use the Psalms to be able to pray. Let those words become your own words to pray. Because if you're like me, oftentimes you get stuck. You pray the same old kind of rote prayers. But he invites you to take on the emotion of the psalmist and to pray those prayers. Because sometimes they articulate your heart far better than your own way of communicating might. How are you to pray? You pray corporate-shaped, corporate prayers. You pray prayers that are united with brothers and sisters. You pray fervently, constantly, together. And then you pray scripture-soaked prayers. Those are the things that we see in the book of Acts. The very, very beginning as he lays out these kinds of resources for us. To say this is what marks
2: a church that is on fire and on mission. For the sake of time, let me just mention one illustration, and then we'll close. Listen, some of you are
1: listening to this, and you're, you're thinking, okay, that was like 2,000 years ago, Blake. Thank you very much, right? Now we have the Holy Spirit. It's a different era. It's a different time. We operate in a different way. No, you don't. You still operate with the same kind of dependent prayer. You know what happened after the book of Acts? They prayed dependent, bold prayers, For a long time. Until Christianity became the dominant worldview in their culture. And then you know what happened? They capitulated to the culture. So that by the time Constantine's reign ended. And the next emperor. His name was Theodosius. He was the one who said. This imperial cult. Called Christianity. Which we've allowed to be accepted. We're going to actually make the institutional religion of Rome. And it crippled the church because it became culturally conditioned that you're a Christian. And slowly but surely, you see all through the medieval period, these times of great decline, except for the monastic period, the, the monks who went off to pray for revival and renewal because they prayed for it. You see a gradual decline, except for the monastic periods until the Reformation. And then a wryly, crazy monk named Martin Luther had the audacity to stand because of Scripture, because he had prayed over and over and over again, not by himself, but by with his confessor. His name is Johann Stoppitz and other guys who prayed with and for Martin for the Reformation. And then it began to happen. And then in 1724 in Germany, some of you... Your families came from Germany in 1724. Germany was a mess. People were complaining and bickering about the institutional church. It feels broken. Nobody nobody knows why they go anymore. And there was a young man whose name was Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Isn't that a fun name, Ludwig von Zinzendorf? I dare you to name your next child Ludwig. And Ludwig von Zinzendorf called together a group of people. He formed prayer bands. And he said, instead of complaining about the church, let's pray for it. And he gave his life to these guys named Moravians who were Reformed Catholics, who were Catholics that were coming out of the sacramentalism of the Catholic Church to become Protestants. And he gathered these group of men, and he prayed, and he said, we got to pray. And they set up in 15, 20, uh, 1724 a 24-hour prayer chain. And do you know how long that prayer chain lasted because of Count Zinzendorf, his efforts? It didn't last for a year. It didn't last for five years. It didn't last for his lifetime. In Germany, there was a consistent person out of Count Zinzendorf's crew praying
2: for 100 years until 1824 and scholars will go
1: back and they will attest that the people that were spun off of that group were people who were linchpin players and the greatest awakenings we've seen in the western church since the reformation in, fift- in 1727 just three years after they started praying germany experienced this incredible revival And then out of England, people came over to the U.S., like people named Wesley and Whitfield. And they began to preach. And a young preacher named Theodore Freelinghauser caught the vision in New Jersey. And his congregation had this massive revival, which then was the beginning of the First Great Awakening. And scholars say that much of that was attested back to Zinzendorf beginning to pray in Germany
2: three years before that and that lasted for another 97 years that's an amazing and yet we think man we're hungry
1: Jesus is so great I love him I just wish he'd get out of the way and let me live my life brothers we are called to be devoted to prayer it will change your worldview. Not because Jesus loves you more because you pray, but because he's invited you to enjoy him together. And if we as a church are going to change the wall, so it's going to start with the level at which we pray and we beg Jesus. There are all kinds of good reasons to pray. We're commanded to pray in Romans chapter 12. We've got a huge mission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That's the Great Commission. Prayer changes things. Luke 7 says, If a father knows how to good get, give good gifts to his children, how much more will your father in heaven give, give good gifts? It's a
2: tongue twister. Give good gifts to those who ask. God moves when we pray.
1: But you know why Jesus asks us to pray in Acts chapter 1? Because you need wisdom.
2: And we do. And prayer changes things. So would you help me, as I help
1: you, be a people who are committed to prayer? And would you consider in your weekly schedule going to community group the next time you meet with a little different emphasis to say, we want to go to pray for each other. Because an hour spent in prayer, reading the Psalms, confessing together, is the best way you could possibly spend that time. And the, way that we, the reason that we pray is because Christ himself prayed for us, didn't he? Before he came to the cross, Jesus says, I'm praying not for myself, but for mine, my own. Those people who you have called to be mine, I'm praying that they will be one just as you and I are one. And he prayed for us. And he knew your name. And he knew your concerns. And he knew the things that you, were, you hoped that you would get in this life. And he prayed for you to be unified together. It's our greatest joy. It's our greatest privilege. And it is the mark of a church that is on fire for the king. Let's do it together because our Savior loves us so much. He invites us into his throne room of access to enjoy his company and his fellowship. And he also invites us in prayer to begin to have a foretaste of what community looks like together as a church with our friends. Just as you experience community with Jesus, he wants you to experience community together, in community. And so friends, let's do that together. It's a great time to do it. We're at a new location for a new church, and there's lots of people you know that you're tempted to invite. Don't be tempted any longer. Invite them
2: and pray for them. That'd be a great place to start. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you invite us to pray. And Lord, we know that,
1: we know that according to the book of Acts, that renewal comes when a church pray and they are reoriented toward mission together. Father, we want revival in our families. We want renewal in our hearts. We want, Father, to be quick to confess And Lord, we need your help to do that. So would you strengthen us, we pray, by the power of your great
2: love for sinners like us. In Jesus' name, amen.